0: And I will just say hello to the folks that you know, tell them you won't be long. They'll be happy to know that as I saw you go, you were seen. Don't know where, don't know where.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. This is our 56th episode of our show and this week we're talking about the episode that just aired of MTV's Teen Wolf, Season 3, 21, The Fox and the Wolf. I hope you all had an enjoyable week and that you enjoyed the episode now that it's out. Me and Karen are here today, so hello Karen. Hi. Hi. And our special guest this week is Liz Bundick, and Liz is actually the twin sister of our good friend Jen, who's been on three episodes previously, not Jen Lamoureux from the last episode, Jen Smith from the previous episodes about Japanese mythology. Liz is her sister, and Liz has a degree in criminal justice and history in which she specialised in American history. So she's here basically today to give us a hand with the whole internment camp issue and shed a bit of light on that whole scenario. So we thought she'd be a good guest for this week. Hello, Liz. How are you going?
2: I'm good. How are you guys?
3: Uh, Yeah, we're we're good. You good, Karen? Yeah, it's still really cold here, which is what happens in winter naturally. But I would like it to be summer now. It's technically not winter
1: anymore. It's the 5th of March, so it's it's technically spring now for you.
3: Yeah, okay. Tell that to the foot of snow outside my window. <laughs> wow, you have a foot. I have three. I'll trade. Oh, <laughs> no thanks. No thanks.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, neither of you are allowed to freeze to death before we finish the episode. So once it's over, then you can go and die. But <laughs> you and well, thanks. thanks. Yeah. I'm glad
2: I have permission. Just hold
1: out until the end of the episode and, and then you can go throw yourself into a snowdrift and just give up to the gods of winter or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, if you want to chat with us about this episode, you can reach us, as usual, on Twitter, which is natwpodcast at Twitter, on our email address, natwpodcast at gmail.com. .com if you have anything to send us, or you can reach us on our Tumblr, not another teen wolf You can also leave comments on the Hyperbole page for this episode of the podcast. And if you want to chat with Liz once we're all done, she has a Tumblr as well. What was your Tumblr, Liz?
2: It's Gus the Moose. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> cool. And uh, I believe you use Twitter under that account, but not very frequently. Is that right?
2: Not very frequently, uh, okay. but I I do have one.
1: All right. Um, if you want to reach Liz, you can maybe go on to Tumblr to continue this talk with her if you feel the the need. Basically, uh, after we have finished this episode, so we'll jump right in to our favorite quotes of the episode. And I'll go first because mine is a joke and the others have very serious intellectual existential (laughs) quotes. Um, Basically I picked the exchange between Derek and Chris when they are, you know, about to go out on this styles hunt uh, where, you know, sheriff tells them that anyone can back out at any time and, They all kind of look at each other like, who's going to be the one to be like, don't want to be in a part of this? And Derek's kind of like, oh, I'm not going to be the first wolf to run from a fox. And Chris goes, well, apparently I'm carrying a lightsaber. Uh, (laughs) Because of, uh, obviously, the earlier scene, which was also a brilliant quote, where Parrish tries to stand up to Chris Argent and be like, yeah, you can't have this about his taser and he goes sheriff it's a few watts away from being a lightsaber and it's beautiful and i love parish he's my baby darling and i'm just totally obsessed with him he's just got this real quiet confidence that i love but back to the point of the actual quote uh is it's i don't know if teen wolf has ever had one of those scenes before where it's like oh everyone's gotten to get you know everyone's standing here together and we've all got to go out and do this really hard task everyone's got a chance to bu- back out and uh you know, no one wants to, so they all make, like, a silly little quip about how they're all probably going to die, let's go, you know, let's go get killed, or whatever. It's very Angel, like, it's very Team Angel. Ah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, I don't know, it just, I feel like it's, it's a trope that happens and that it hasn't happened on Team Wolf before, and I just was like, ah, there it is, and I kind of, kind of loved that, so... Yeah. Do you get what I mean, Karen, about the team angel vibe? Yes. <laughs> yeah,
3: they they did that a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I just you know, it's just like oh well, might as well. It's it's and I just just loved it. But um there were many I actually really loved this entire episode and there were actually lots of really beautiful uh proverbs and not well, proverbs but also kind of like just dialogue that sounds really you know important especially because the yukumura basically talk in like this like half poetry like this mr mr and mrs Yukamura basically everything they say is like super poetic so i had a <laughs> had a bunch of stuff but uh it's
2: but, practically haiku
1: yeah but it's <laughs> um so lots of uh beautifully worded quotes in this episode but i had to go for that one so who wants to go next
3: I, was sent, I think that mine might have been next, but yeah, I was really close to picking Parrish's mm. line uh, about the lightsaber because, God, I'm so obsessed with him too. He's just fantastic. But <laughs> mine was actually from Sheriff Stilinski, and this is more of a serious line, and it's when they're kind of gathered around the chessboard, and he talks about how... You know, they're trying to figure out if the message on the chessboard is from the nigets today or if it's from like the real styles and Sheriff Stolinsky is actually the one that kind of figures everything out, which I loved because this is really the first time he's been super involved in all of this. And for him to take on more of a leadership role mm. and even to sort of separate himself from the fact that this is his son they're talking about, but to actually figure out the rhyme and reason or lack thereof behind the Nagitsune's actions was really fantastic to see. And Sheriff Stolinski just says, it wants a joke all we need is to come up with a new punchline. And it was just a great piece of dialogue and a really awesome sort of, uh, kind of like a mystery to dangle in front of us, considering how this episode ends and how I think it's going to carry over into the next episode.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, I am i don't want to uh, spoil too much because I don't know all the facts either and it's just bits and pieces, but I have heard a bit of discussion uh, that some of what we've seen in the trailers could possibly be the the team ganging up to trick the Nagitsune in terms of create scenarios that aren't well that they're really happening but that you know but that are staged, if you know what I mean, to uh mess with the, the Nagitsune and perhaps that is part of the punchline or perhaps it's all just a gigantic psychological trick that he's playing on everyone. So that's something so, to look forward to. <laughs>
2: So what you're saying is they're building an elaborate Scooby-Doo trap and we're going to see that scene where they're all running through the hallway with all the doors. I hope so. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That that would be fun, I'll admit. It would be fun to see them outsmart the fox.
1: Mm. And then, Liz, your quote was from Scott towards the very end of the episode.
2: Right. Scott says um, to... Uh, Mr. Yukimura, he says, only if you don't learn, which is in reference to, you know, history repeating itself, which as a history, you know, lover and and amateur historian, I think is the point of history entirely is to teach us, how did we get here? Why are we here? What mistakes did we make? How can we fix them? And that Scott figured that out makes me so happy, because I love the development Scott's had this season and to see him kind of blossom into this wise, protective alpha just makes me so happy <laughs> and that it was about history makes me happy. So
3: <laughs> oh, Scott was so good in this episode yeah, and he's, he's been, been so good lately, just in general. It's weird because
1: Scott didn't have much in this episode. He kind of just stood there and he only had a few lines in terms of, but whatever he did had just cut, Right to the point, and it was so powerful, like, when he, you know, when he was talking to them, and and sort of, you know, he called Mrs. Yukimura out for stalling, and uh, just basically, he, he, he was mostly an observer in the episode, but his presence was very strong to me and very powerful and the same goes for Derek actually I tweeted this and I'm like Derek's not even really doing anything in this episode but his existence is just getting to me like something about the way he was like holding (laughs) his face and reacting to things I don't know it was very like calm and weird and I don't know I just liked it but Scott had a similar thing going on it I just felt like a lot happened even though he just sort of stood there I don't know (laughs) it's
2: anytime Scott and Derek can stand in the background and look pretty makes me happy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that is an important aspect of this show. So, yeah.
3: Yes, obviously. But, well, speaking of, you know, this episode overall, Nat, you said that you really liked this one. What did you think about the pacing? Because I saw a lot of people saying that this episode was really slow and that it was just a lot of background. And we didn't, we got a lot of information, but the whole, like, plot didn't actually really move forward all that much.
1: I liked it I really like flashback episodes like I I genuinely do like that kind of thing and I I mean I feel like the plot didn't move that for, forward that much because it, it is pretty much a trip to the department of backstory like I also wasn't really expecting the episode to end where it did if you know what I mean so like this is kind of if we look at this episode and the next episode as one overarching story you've kind of got 30 minutes of backstory, and then it's going to be, like, you know, 50 minutes of actual plot. But, yeah, I don't know if people need, like, some action in every episode, but I I was fine with the pacing. I really enjoyed the episode, and uh, I liked it a lot better than I liked the last couple of episodes. And I feel like the plot within the flashback progressed quickly enough. If that hadn't progressed, if that had just been, like, dragged out, maybe over two episodes, that would have been really annoying, but I think the the plot in the actual episode wasn't meant to progress, it was setting up for what's going to happen next week, which is important in a way.
3: Yeah, I feel about the same way, that when I first watched it, I was like, wow, nothing's really happening, and it's going really slow, and it's just basically an information dump, this whole episode, but then I watched it a second time, and I kind of saw what they were doing with it, and uh, you're right, I think the action and the flashback, like, if that hadn't been so good, and if it hadn't progressed the way that it did, this episode would have been a lot better off, but as it was, I really enjoyed the flashback, and I really liked seeing Arden Cho play uh, Nishiko, the mm. young Mrs. Uh, Yukamura. so that was really cool, but... Liz, what did you think of the pacing? And more importantly, was this episode historically accurate? Uh,
2: I'll go into more detail in a little bit, but spoiler, it wasn't. Um, (laughs) The pacing, when you have a backstory episode, the pacing is very hard to do. And if you ignore the backstory part, you actually did get a lot of information, you know, uh, you found out that the brain scans were perfectly identical. Uh, you found uh-huh. out that the chessboard had been messed with and pieces had been moved and things were relabeled and that styles slash Nugitsune are setting up this game to play, basically. So if you just look at that side of the episode, okay, yeah, things moved forward. We didn't get to the final confrontation. We didn't get to saving styles. But there was a lot that was given to us Without, you know, moving into that it's the final countdown territory. But then you look at at the backstory, which is what I'm here to talk about. If you take away one thing from this episode, don't let it be a history lesson. <laughs> I guess there are two main problems I have with the history in this episode, and and in one it's the portrayal, uh, the portrayal of how the Japanese Americans handled themselves in the camp, and. Two, it was the general atmosphere of the army that was portrayed in this episode. So those are, those are things you just don't take away from this episode. Just go read a real history book. I promise it's <laughs> much more interesting.
3: Yeah, that's actually kind of something that we were talking about amongst us, like with Brooke and Courtney and Danya and all that, was we were sort of wondering if this was meant to be an accurate representation or if Jeff and the creative team were sort of making their own history here in a way to kind of like, I, I don't really know how to explain it. Like instead of getting something wrong, or doing something an injustice to sort of, like, make it their own thing, which I can understand, but I guess since we don't really know if it's, you know, one or the other, it kind of makes it hard to decide if if it was done on purpose.
1: Yeah, there's like a two, that's like a double-edged sword, because on one hand, you know, people are saying, you know, that it's good, you know, it, it might be good that they kind of didn't actually try and, you know, that they made it, a camp that people don't know existed because it was so wrong or whatever that they covered it up, that that is less intrusive or offensive to the memory of the real situation or if the fact that they are sort of portraying it like that in itself is an injustice to what actually happened. I I don't really know what I think about which option is, is better, but there seems to be some talk o- over it basically.
2: Well, the the problem um that you really need to notice in this episode is that there were guards posted at these camps
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they were you know not bad guys, but this is 1940s America and there's racism. You can't avoid it. It's yep. everywhere during this time. And if they acknowledged The Japanese at all it was mostly as kind of a passing hey it's your time to go to school hey it's your time for uh, chow and you know they didn't interact too much this loosened up towards the end of the internment period where the Japanese were actually allowed to go off the camp they had jobs in other places they would travel back and forth and it became more lax but in 1943 when all this takes place, this is the, almost, I would call it the peak of internment. So the guards weren't mean to these people, but there was that underlying racism. And you can't ignore that. And then the other problem is the Japanese Americans really had a quiet stoicism about this when they were enduring it. There was None of that outright anger that you saw. Um, Did it exist? Yes, of course it existed. The the werewolf, the Japanese-American werewolf woman, her demeanor, where she was calmly playing Go, was the closest you're going to get to accurate, that these people kind of sucked it up. And the phrase is, I'm not going to say the Japanese phrase because I'm going to screw it up, but it translated to, it cannot be helped what was going on could not be helped so they just kind of sucked it up and endured and that's a very common japanese way to handle things
1: yeah i mean that that is the impression that i have had in you know past not experiences but past uh, sort of uh past <laughs> yeah past exposure to this kind of thing but you know it also kind of makes me wonder how much influence in that case that noshiko had because, you know, she was the one that sort of started the stealing and she was the one that got people somewhat riled up. And, you know, it makes me wonder if, again, this is part of the reason why the entire situation was then covered up because it was so out of the norm because it was meant to be so abnormal and that that is due somewhat to her Trickster spirit, you know, s- somewhat influencing right. people. I don't know, you know, if that's, you know, intentional or not, but, um, but yeah, and again, I don't know if this is a misguided thing on the part of the show, but, uh, you know, perhaps they wanted to show that, you know, those kind of circumstances are ones that would make people angry, at least internally, uh, even though the Japanese didn't usually express it.
2: Right. From, from a historian standpoint, what I took away from the episode was this is a dramatized event put Mm. to the backdrop of history. They're using and this, it's like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, All right, (laughs) They took an actual historical event that is incredibly interesting if you're a history nerd um, and they used it to further the plot of their story, they dramatized it, they dressed it up, and, and that's Fine as long as nobody who watches this show walks away thinking, Oh my god, the government covered up Oak Creek. Oh my god, I have to yeah. keep looking into this. It must exist. It doesn't exist, people. Don't go looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only thing you take away from this episode. This is not the real history, it's dramatized history. It's fun when you're not a historian sitting there raging at your television, <laughs> but you know. It would be really nice if people walked away from this episode going, I want to know more. And you go look into this and and realize what these people went through and handled very well. You know, there's it's not a it's not an Attica prison riot that these people did, which is what's almost portrayed in the episode. And that's the really important thing I want people to take away is to go, well what actually happened? I want to know. So, and I can yeah. answer questions about that folks, I'm happy to talk about history until I'm blue in the face. <laughs> Oddly enough, uh,
1: it, what you're saying is kind of reminding me of me as a child watching the um, the Fox features animated version of Anastasia and becoming invested in that story <laughs> and then being like, I want to learn more about this. Not that I actually, I think I was old enough to know that it was very fictionalized and that that was not a real, that if that had really happened in the world, I it would be a thing the world knew about. I knew I knew it was a, a fake story, but then uh, discovering the real story um, is super depressing. So yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, is is the uh, the story and the result of this entire scenario uh, slightly less traumatizing than what's portrayed in Teen Wolf? Or
2: there's a couple of things that Teen Wolf got wrong, and one of them is actually the condition of the camp they were in. What you saw on t v was much nicer than what these people yeah, actually yeah. lived in I couldn't which believe is how really much makeup sad
1: they had I know that sounds really weird, but I couldn't believe how beautiful they were and how much makeup they had and and that kind of when they were being so heavily rationed with their food
2: <laughs> right i mean the the place was paved. none of these places were really paved. They were dirt, um they had army barracks, so you saw what they were living in now, imagine that about half the size it is with the same number of people crammed into it Mm. and made out of old rickety floorboards and tarp ceilings, uh, leaky windows, then you've got an idea of what these people actually lived in. And those would be the relocation centers. This isn't even covering assembly centers where they were basically converted fairgrounds and horse race tracks where people lived in horse stalls that were unmucked, you know, they still had horse crap in them. Mm. So these people were not treated, they weren't treated very well in the episode, but they had better living conditions than what the truth was, which is very sad and really depressing, but Mm. you know, it's Teen Wolf. Everybody looks pretty in Teen Wolf.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. Yes. I, I think that's really good though. I mean, obviously the story that Teen Wolf is trying to tell is the one of Teen Wolf. It's not the one of, you know, these internment camps. And, yeah, they got stuff wrong. And, I mean, I had a history minor. I'm huge into history, too, especially this time period, um, though I focus a lot more on, like, the foreign aspects of it. And so I totally understand, you know, you and other people, being upset that maybe they didn't do this justice. But I also don't think that this is the correct medium for that sort of thing. So I think, gosh, no, (laughs) (laughs) I think the best thing that you said is just, you know, if you want to learn more about it, if this really did interest you, go find some resources that'll tell you the real story and kind of let this be, you know, your jumping board into that sort of thing because this whole thing is just fascinating and terrible and horrible, but really interesting and, you know, it, it tells you a lot about us as people and it tells you a lot about where we came from and hopefully where we're going. So, you know, let that just be sort of the lesson to take away from that, but Uh, Jumping into the episode, I want to get going on that because it was really interesting how they started off, I think. I like when shows start at the end and then tell you how they got there, and they did that in this episode. And um, basically, we see the Nagitsune come to life uh, right at the beginning, and he rips some dude's head off, so you know this is going to be a good episode. (laughs) And my question here was, and it's not really all that important, but something that just kind of stuck out to me, because we see one of the soldiers uh, telling riddles to the other guy, and the other guy really doesn't care, but... The Nigitsune is the one who's always saying riddles, but that soldier that was saying them and the Nogitsune are two different people. So I don't know if like this is supposed to be significant in any way or like why the Nigitsune speaks in riddles all the time. From what I from the episode,
2: it's a red herring. Yeah. What I expected when I was watching that scene was, oh my god, that guy is the Nogitsune, he's the one who's gonna get possessed, he's the dead guy in the wall. And he's not. So it yeah. throws off your uh, expectations and suddenly you're like, wait, what? Hang on. What's going on here? And it gets you interested in, okay, who's that guy in all the bandages? Why didn't the Riddler officer become the Nugitsune? You know, And since we saw who the Nugitsune was, it's possible he picked up the Riddles thing from being stuck with that guy and the camp.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. My thing was, yeah, either that it was a misdirect, like what you just said, or that it was, like, because the Nogitsune was, like, basically brand new, born into this world. And, and those that, that was one of the first things he was around, you know, the, the actual Nikitsune, Uh that it was kind of, like, circumstantial influence, like, or that it was just pure coincidence, like, that you have, oh, this guy... Not, not coincidence, because it was obviously done on purpose in the show, but, like oh, this guy is all, you know, Ridley, and then it's more like, oh, I'm here to tell riddles and rip your head off kind of thing. I don't know if it was meant to be intentionally picked up from him. I do think it was meant to be intentionally, like, a misdirect, though, so.
3: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, flashing... Back to the present, we Mm -hmm. get Mr. Yukimura, and he's in his office in the classroom uh, on a Saturday doing some work, and Styles comes in. And I just love him so much. Like, he doesn't have a prominent role, and he's not, like, one of the big players here, not like Kira's mom is. But I just really always enjoy it when he's on screen, and especially because he's not supernatural. He's just a regular guy, but... He doesn't like he stands up to styles and he continues to say, I don't know what you're talking about and he tries to play it off. And I think it's because he knows the stakes, but that's really brave of him considering he doesn't have any powers of his own.
1: Yeah, I like him as well, and it, it's it's funny that I God, it's. Kira is such a good mix of her parents. Like, I feel like yeah. she. He. Like, you, a lot of the stuff that you learn about him, like, <laughs> this is just really small, but later when you hear that he was, like, obsessed with the Oak Creek camps and, like, that he, you know, he. And doing all that research, you kind of see Kira, like, roll her eyes, like, of course you did. And it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> Kira, yeah, reminds me a lot of both her parents. But he. Yeah, he's, you know been wrapped up in this for a long long time presumably and and it's uh it must be very stressful to have your sort of wife in that situation and feel uh not very powerful i was also interested in in what styles uh was trying to do with him in terms of the whole fly and all of that and when he go it goes into his mouth and then the girls come in like the mum and kira come in and, and sort of save him is this is this what the Nagitsune does to create his uh, Renfields, like to create his little helpers? He like possesses them with a fly mm-hmm. and then that means, like was he trying to possess Mr. Yukimura? Like can you imagine if that had worked, if he'd been one of the henchmen? Oh
3: man, I think that is what he was trying to do, yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm on the fence on that idea.
2: I saw it as more of a, a torture, get you to talk. Kind of thing where he's like, all right, I'm gonna choke you until you tell me what I want to hear, which is counterproductive because how does somebody <laughs> choking talk
1: well I don't know but I, see, I thought that it was that he you know Styles left you know but the he was just choking on the floor and, and Styles left by the time the the others got there, and so I thought the whole making him talk thing was more like the fly thing put him under is meant to put him under the influence of the Nagetsne, in which case he would end up talking, if you know what I mean. Not. Right. I don't know though. I, I I've been curious about how he makes his little sidekicks uh, that do his bidding, like the creepy kid in Eichen House and even Barrow. So. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and it and that's unclear because we saw what's his face. The fly came out of him after the sword thing, and those flies. Right play somehow we don't know how yet but that's the danger of an unreliable narrator so what are you going to do
3: yeah yeah i think there's just always tons of questions here and you know this episode for how slow it was in some places which you kind of have to do when you have a flashback because there is a lot of interesting or interesting There is a lot of information that you have to put out there, but it also jumped around a lot because we kind of just find out by consequence that Styles has either been let go or I think he actually escaped Ikenhouse, which is where he was at the end of the last episode still. And we also see that Malia delivered the picture. She delivered the picture to Kira and... Scott, but we don't actually see her in this episode at all.
1: Yeah, I found that so weird. Apparently Malia mm-hmm. has seen Scott and gave him the sword and the picture. And like when and why and like what happened there and does that mean that's the stuff that happened in Ikenhouse? Well, I mean, I do think the the physical events of Eichen House were real, but like was does that mean everything that happened in that Eichen House episode was real? And if so, why, because we were questioning that a lot, but, yeah, Malia, you know, did she get her trade-off with Scott? Like, did she just show up and was like, here's a sword, cool, teach me how to be a, now coyote. Teach me to be a coyote? Like, is that is that something that hasn't, has happened or hasn't happened? It's, you know, and why did Morel send, you know, is this another way of Morel trying to get the uh, Nogitsune killed by delivering this weapon on? And, you know, does she know everything about Kira and all of this past stuff if she knows all of this why didn't she just tell someone like and actually be helpful like anyway (laughs) I have some questions
2: you want the druids to be helpful in this show wait
1: I mean it's (laughs) not what they're for or anything it's not like they're there to be like advisors and actually give guidance like yeah
2: they're they're the teen wolf fortune cookie you open (laughs) it and you have to figure out what they mean
3: (laughs) (laughs) oh god Okay. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Speaking of wondering, you know, whether something was real or not. And okay, this isn't totally confirmed, but uh we're talking a lot about whether or not Styles and Malia had sex while they were in Ike's house. And on the MTV website, their remote control blog, they did talk about her asking Styles to take her virginity and all this other stuff, which granted, okay, doesn't necessarily mean that they did have sex, but I think the implication was there. So for me at least, I'm going to take that as, yeah, they did have sex, that did actually really happen.
1: I'm still confused about it because I don't necessarily believe, not that I don't believe everything that MTV says, I don't believe that MTV knows everything that's going to happen in the show. (laughs) Like, I think, I mean, they do, but okay, okay. For example, if I was working for... uh, It's really weird because very few companies... Very few production companies that create a show run their own news site. So, it's a bit confusing. But, like, say, like, Paramount Pictures or something. Or, say, Fox had a, you know, Fox... I mean, Fox News is a thing, but you know what I mean? Like a Fox Entertainment site. And they, you know, were writing stories predicting about what was going to happen on Glee. Or, you know, oh, this happened... or, Or writing reviews of what had happened in the past episode based on the writer's perspective. It doesn't mean that writer knows, like, what secrets Ryan Murphy, the creator of Glee, is, like, keeping up his sleeve for the next episode. Like, I don't think everyone at MTV actually knows what's going on on Teen Wolf, if that makes sense. Um, Maybe they do. Maybe I'm really wrong. But to me, that article read like it was written. It could have been written by someone on Hyperball or could have been written on another show. It just happened to be the MTV news blog. And I don't know how much insider info they actually have because I think the actual Teen Wolf production company keeps stuff pretty close to the chest um that being said i'm still confused about them saying like people like you know agent mccall were dead when they're not dead so well, yeah that still really bothers
2: me <laughs> here's here's the other thing to keep in mind we know that the Nugitsune gets to styles when he's sleeping yeah now right before all this happens styles gets a shot and that's supposed to make it, it's sedative mm. so it's it's entirely possible we've been in style's dream world because the last time we saw style's dream world, we didn't know he was dreaming until the no Today appeared and said, Oh, is it really on your right foot? Maybe it's on your left foot. You know? Yeah. So it could be another mind game. Cause we have unreliable narrator narration this series, this uh, season. So we've got to be, I'm on a grain of salt. Kind of like if it hadn't happened after the shot, I could believe it but it happened after the shot, and now I'm really skeptical. Yeah,
3: I, I basically don't trust, like, anything that's going on right now. Oh, good. It's very useful. Trust in Scott. <laughs> yes, I do trust in Scott. Uh, But basically back to the scene between Kira and Scott, we find out that I mean, we find this out a little bit later, but Mrs. Yukimura really is 900 years old or thereabouts. And the person in the picture is her when she was younger. And basically, if you didn't realize it already, it's played by Arden Cho, who also plays Kira. My question is, why do you think that Nishiko, as a young girl, looks exactly like Kira? Do you Um, think there's a reason for this? Or do you think it's just like, okay, well, you know, sometimes mother and daughters do look very similar.
1: Two things so that it could be, number one, so that it could be recognizable in the photo and at the plot point. Uh, the other reason is, is maybe something to do with supernatural. Like maybe kitsune's kind of just replicate themselves, if you know what I mean. Like that the genes are that strong um, that all people in the family look the same, or number three, maybe Arden wanted to play it, like maybe they asked, and you know they were like, so do you think that this should be her or do you think this should be like another actress that's you know that looks similar? Uh, I mean my my whole question is why was she until why was she the age of like a young woman, like say a twenty year old woman uh until you know until she was. 850 and then decided to start aging after that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, or, uh, I mean, it might have been when she married the... Maybe they can control their aging and it might have been when she married Mr. Yukimura that she chose to let her body age and maybe she can go back or maybe she can't now that she's snapped all the tails, but like, maybe like she can choose when to, to age or choose how her appearance is in order to like sync up with her lifestyle that she's currently living or, or maybe... You know, I have no idea, but I'm like, why did she, like, remain at 20 for, like, 870 years and now is, like, aged into a, a middle-aged woman? So, <laughs> that was what confused me.
2: Yeah. Well, it I, could be. Like... I, I got the, my idea for the whole aging thing was that when she basically made the prayer for the, you Nogitsune, know, she did that kind of summoning thing her her aging her slow aging might have been the cost of that because um generally in any sort of mythology or magic to get something big you've got to give something big so mm. she gave up this this aging and suddenly she's aging quicker not necessarily as quick as a normal person but she's aging quicker for an uh kitsune and that was that might have been, that was my idea just on what I know mm. of mythology and, and magical quote-unquote laws yeah. in
3: uh, stories
2: like that, but I could be completely wrong.
3: I like the idea that maybe she decided to do it, to, like, stay at the same age as her husband or something like that. That's it's kind very, of Very
1: cool. uh, Arwen and Aragorn and Lord of the Rings,
3: but... <laughs>
1: My other question is, if she's 900 years old, why is she choosing to be – well, not choosing, but how did she end up in the circumstance that she was in the internment camp, whether she was there by sort of choice to, like, help the people that she was living Nobody amongst. had a
2: choice in that. Well, I'll cut you off right there. Well, no. Nobody no, no, no. had a choice. If she was
1: – no, no, if she was – no, no, not – I'm talking about, like, a supernatural choice. Like, she – Okay. Yeah, like, not – I don't mean – like that. I mean, if she's a 900 year old fox spirit, whether she, you know, she could probably get the hell out of wherever she wanted to or avoid a situation. I'm talking about what is she doing living in 1943 America with the Japanese Americans in this dire situation, whether she's there on purpose to try and help or even, in, as I mentioned, incite rebellion in some way if she's like a trickster spirit or if she has some sort of connection there uh, I'm just wondering yeah how she or you know basically what her lifestyle was like like what she was doing if um you know she's 900 years old and this is where she's ended up
3: maybe part of the reason why she stayed could have been because of Reese the the corporal that she yeah. was with who was played by Skylar Maxson by the way Very handsome, just throwing that out there.
1: Yeah, I liked him. I liked him.
3: (laughs) And I really liked their relationship, actually. I thought it was really cute, and all their interactions were adorable. Um, But I kept thinking throughout that whole story, like, how does Mr. Yukimura feel about this? It must have been kind of awkward.
1: I mean, I was like that as well. I was like, this is, like, really kind of, okay, number one, depressing, But number two, like, the Yukimoras also seem very in love with each other. So, I mean, is that just what happens when you're an uh, immortal being, that you just like, okay, so for this guy's lifetime, I'm going to be with him, and then when he dies, I'm going to, like, grieve for a while, and then I'm going to get with someone else and live with them through their lifetime. Like, is that just, like, a part of being immortal? Like, that's sad.
2: Well, that's isn't that the the literary thing about when the the immortal falls in love with the mortal. I mean, we're talking about Aragon and Arwen here and she gives it up for him. And that, you know, it may just be the same kind of idea that she fell in love with this wonderfully mild mannered mannered history teacher and decides, all right, I'm going to live out my life with this guy. And then if he dies, you know, well, he will die when he dies. I'm going to go be, you know, sad for a while and then I'm going to try and live my life I'm going to try and continue to live my life and find happiness again
1: yeah I mean it happens a lot it's so romantic (laughs) yeah and I mean something with Aragorn and Arwen that was never entirely clear to me is I mean because you see sort of stuff that seems to be This is so not exactly the point, but you see stuff that I think is either like Elrond or Arwen's imagination of what's going to happen. And I don't get whether Arwen just chooses not to go with the elves and stay with Aragorn for his lifetime, and then she's, in exchange for that, just going to suffer and live forever. Or if she literally turns human. Well, not human, but she literally gives up the immortality like, she will age and die as well. Like, that was really never clear to me because they show both options in, like, flashbacks or flash-forwards in Lord of the Rings. And anyway, the point is, there's different options here. We don't know if um, Mrs. Yukimura is going to just age and die at this point or if the giving up of her tails is going to affect that in some way or if she just is, you know, has different loves at different times in her life. And, I mean, I'm pretty sure that, it. I mean, this is baggage, Reese's baggage that she had when she met Mr. Yukimura, like, I think that no matter how much she was oh, you were in love with someone who died horribly, like, 50 years ago, there's not much he can do about that, and, like, you just have to sort of trust that she's in a place to love again now,
2: I guess. They do yeah. seem to genuinely love each other. He's, yeah very concerned about her breaking the tails and she's you know very comforting but very determined and he's like alright I trust you which is a big thing I think in their relationship is mm-hmm. that she trusts him to talk about things like oh I'm breaking my tails to some and he's like alright I trust you know what you're doing there. you're doing the right thing and that's and I mean they had a kid together so you know I think he kind of knew what he was getting into <laughs> um, when he yeah. was like alright so my kid's going to be a fox spirit awesome I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> I bet I, well, be,
1: I bet he's as much of a fangirl of it as Kira it seems to be. Like before she discovered she was one, like uh, like super, like oh my god, this is so cool, like kind of thing. I mean, sad but also cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Probably well, they, they seem that same dorky kind of. Oh, this is fun. Yeah,
1: I yeah. mean, as my impression as well from like everything that happened in this scene is that the the Yukimuras have known pretty much since they came to town exactly who everyone was and what had been going on, and, like, they knew who was supernatural. Like, he, he you know, he told Scott that he didn't tell Allison about uh, Oak Creek because he knew about her family, and that was pretty early on, so... Uh, they they've basically got the dirt on everyone in town and yet he still invited Scott over to be a sushi date for his daughter. So, what <laughs> so do we- he ships
2: it. I mean, yeah. you can see he ships it. It's, it's not hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, what do we think of that in regards to uh, foxes and wolves don't generally get along? Because I really loved his line about um, allies, however unlikely, should be welcomed. I really sort of enjoyed
3: that. So did I, because I think he's got a really good point that Mrs. Yukimura is very strong, but she's also very proud. And I think one of the things that she really has to learn is to accept help and sort of give up a little bit of that control. And he's sort of there to give her the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that he knows how important somebody like Scott can be. And just to sort of have Scott as a friend, like even if you don't necessarily trust him because of who he is, but to have some sort of working relationship with him is important. And I think that Mr. Yukimura realized that pretty early on. Mm-hmm. You're getting
2: almost an enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. At least with uh, Mrs. Yukimura, she yeah. she doesn't trust Scott. She doesn't trust the wolves because she blame. I think she blames that one werewolf in the camp for starting everything. Yeah. Uh, when really it's her own fault. But and so she's reluctantly having to trust Scott now. With Kira, it's more of a of a an open minded situation where she's like oh my gosh, this guy, he's my age, he's been through this supernatural stuff, and he came out okay, I can talk to him about what's going on, he's going to support me in my cool sword-swinging adventures. (laughs) (laughs) And so you get a different perspective from both sides of the family, which is good, because without that, you know, Scott would probably have never heard the whole story, and we would have never heard the whole story, and it would be sad.
3: Right, exactly And, you know, they're not the only characters that are working together in this episode That usually wouldn't work together Because we have Derek and Chris now They're out of jail, woohoo And uh, (laughs) Sheriff is the one that actually let them out Because he's asking them for help And I loved this part because I think that's very big of the sheriff to not be like, I'm going to solve this myself. I'm going to save my son. I can do this. He knew that he had to ask people who he's just sort of learning about for the first time. And he's asking them for their help. So that was kind of big. But the other thing that we learn here is that the sheriff tells them that somehow the Nagitsune was still playing tricks and that the brain scan of Styles was exactly like Claudia's. So therefore, Styles is not sick. It was just a trick the whole time.
1: Um. Woo-hoo. So basically, do we think he actually... Did something to Styles's brain, or do you think he messed with the files?
2: I think it would be easy enough. You know, we've seen him at least. The Nogitsune uses electricity. It seems like mm. a lot. You know, he they did the whole rooftop of the hospital. You know, sabotage, mm. and there's the whole scene at the power plant, which you know is a little suspicious now. Because how long has Styles been possessed? Yada yada. Um, so I would think it might be possible for a creature like that to manipulate uh, the electronics so that it comes out looking exactly the same. Mm. And um, probably he possibly even pulled it from Styles' memory because I would be willing to bet that kid's broken into the files to see what his mom's brain scans look like because that's Styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, because we see it basically as, as it's happening. We see the man... Looking at the files on the, uh, you know, while he's doing the MRI, and it's, you know, and I don't know if that's meant to be like literally live or if he changed the.
2: Typically, they are from yeah, what like, I know of medical stuff. Yeah, that's stuff. what I
1: thought, but I mean, we we don't
2: have, very you know, small by the way, not an expert.
1: Yeah, we don't uh we don't know exactly what happened, but um but yeah, regardless, it seems like uh that the results were were faked, which, I mean, we discussed at the time whether the whether Nigitsune was making it appear like he had the brain disease. We don't know exactly how he did it, but seems like that's the scenario. And, yeah, I'm just wondering how that's all going to play out, especially in terms of Scott talking about giving him the bite, and then we've been talking about him giving the bite for other reasons as well in regards to the Nigitsune and I, I still don't know whether that's going to be a, a thing that happens or not.
3: Yeah, yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it's definitely something that I think is probably gonna be on the table for a long time. I mean, for as long mm-hmm. as Styles is human because he's going to be vulnerable, but I think that, you know, that's always going to be the final option for Scott and probably for Styles too.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I you would lose you would lose something in the show if Styles became a werewolf, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah, I know some people who, who disagree with me but I think you'd lose something in this kid who is brave enough to throw himself onto a pile of gasoline with his best friend just to save his life and that's not you know that's not nearly as dramatic if he was a werewolf and there was the potential to walk away from serious burns cuz Peter did it yeah um so I w- I'd be much happier if Styles stays uh human because you'll lose something in the show if he becomes a werewolf and I could be completely wrong and get joshed by Davis so hard but I'm holding out hope fingers crossed
1: yeah i think i mean i think at this point i honestly can't imagine it like i i just can't imagine how it would work but in this scene though with the sheriff again this might just be set dressing and me paying way too much attention to things But he talks about being in the army, which we've never really heard him mention before. And in the background of his office, on top of his bookshelf, he has one of those uh, folded flag tributes, which usually they deliver to the uh, family or partner or whatever of someone who dies in combat in in the American army. As far as I know, we might do something similar in Australia. You're correct. I, I've seen more American Army movies than real life Australian <laughs>
2: Army You're things. You're correct. You generally, so, they get the folded flags yeah, when so, someone, yeah, and I've
1: seen those, you know, in news articles and stuff. And I'm like, who was close enough to the sheriff that he has that in his office? If you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't his wife, obviously. Uh, I mean, do you think that that's in any way potentially a plot point? Like, given this is the first we've ever heard of him being in the army, it. I mean, it could Knowing- be his dad. It could be.
2: You know, it was probably his dad, at least knowing American history and the American history timeline like I do. Mm. The sheriff is not old enough to have served in World War II, considering that's what we've been talking about a lot in the last episode or the current episode, however we phrase it. Um, yeah. So it's probably his grandfather because both my grandfathers were fought in World War Two. Mm. Um, so it was probably his grandfather uh excuse me his father styles grandfather yeah and that might have been his motivation for going into the army and here's another trend Parrish was in the army we found that out
1: yeah
2: uh, oh my god so, I love
1: Parrish so much by the way as well well yeah. everybody
2: loves parish he's baby captain america yeah um so it might just be you get this in law enforcement a lot people will get out of the army and go into law enforcement mm. uh so it could be that. It could just be, you know, yay, more background on the sheriff. Give me more on my favorite character. But, you know, it's it's possible it was his father, and that's where it kind of comes from.
1: It just was really that random was... to me that it was the first time it was ever mentioned, and that I also noticed the flag. And I noticed the flag before he said the thing about being in the army, so I'm not sure if they were... I
2: still don't know his first name, so... I am not sure if they were
1: trying to make a point there, or if it was just set dressing, like... You
3: know, yeah, fantastic set dressing. Yeah, that was it, it being his father. Uh, When you said that was the first thing that kind of jumped out to me, I think that would make a lot of sense. But I definitely noticed, too, that he was, yeah, the second person to have talked about being in the Army. So considering we really have no idea what's going on for this entire second half of the season, I'm trying to like keep all this information filed away in my head in case it becomes important later on, because you just never know.
1: Well, maybe they're setting up army connections because they're gonna like break into army records or
2: something at some point. Oh. To do with the uh, yeah. We can get Danny to hack the government.
1: Yeah! <laughs> oh, they need to utilize Danny's hacker skills more. Just tell him about the werewolves, and then you've got like a, a hacker on your side. It's like really, really useful, guys. Come on. This
2: is guess. this is entirely optimistic hope for me, but I hope in, like, maybe season four, Danny just turns out to be a powerful Hawaiian spirit anyway, and he goes, listen, you losers. (laughs) You've screwed this up enough. I've been watching
1: you for three years just make mistakes, and I just can't handle it anymore.
2: (laughs) You guys suck, and I'm gonna fix
1: this.
2: (laughs) Oh, that would be beautiful. Drive Derek to therapy, you know. I really,
1: I, I, that's, like, my one dream for this show is that Danny turns around one day and is like, you're all are idiots like that he's known everything the entire time and he's just watched them like from afar being like i cannot believe you guys
2: banging his head against the desk like these morons
1: yeah (laughs) and maybe he's like maybe he's like not allowed to intervene because of whatever he is like it's like he's but he just he's like i can't take it
2: anymore you guys are idiots there's all these there's all these fics for styles is deaton's apprentice and it turns out it was danny the whole time because uh, if anybody knows how not to interfere, it's beaten. <laughs>
1: <laughs> truth. Oh, truth. Anyway, oh my god, I would love it if he was actually an emissary, if he beca- if Danny became Scott's emissary and he was actually good.
3: Um, He was helpful. Yeah. That was, yeah. your well, guys, I, I this for you. Hmm. Oh, boy. All right. Well, getting back to uh, real life, quote unquote, we have uh, another flashback where we find out that the doctor is selling all the medicine on the black market, while uh, a lot of the residents of the internment camp are dying of disease. And there's basically a riot after these sort of things happen, and the Japanese-Americans attack the doctor and the various soldiers. And this is where we find out that the old woman who's playing Go earlier in the episode is actually a werewolf. Did that surprise anybody else? Because I did not see that
1: coming. Yeah, neither did I, really, honestly. I thought
3: she was going to
2: be another... Kitsune. Uh, Kitsune. Yeah, me And then it was like, oh, I know what those glowing eyes mean. See, even when her
3: eyes were like that, I was like, oh, Kitsune, like... It didn't go Yeah. 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 And I think Kira's are like, they're a slightly different color. They're like more orangey, I think, a little bit darker than the regular werewolf yeah. eyes. But like, they basically had to say that she was a werewolf before I picked <laughs> up on it. But I thought that was kind of a, a cool twist. And yeah. of course, she's the one that ends up throwing the bottle of the alcohol with the lit rag on Reese. Molotov cocktail, cocktail. Yeah. And, um, you know, everybody sort of like chaos ensues and uh, everyone's shot and pretty much everyone dies, except for Noshiko, because she is the Kitsude, so she lives, although she is barely alive. And we find out that the doctor and all the other uh, soldiers, the surviving soldiers, are going to cover everything up. And there's quite a bloodbath here.
1: See, the whole black market thing slightly confused me. Um, mainly because when she was stealing from the truck, Nishiko at the start, with the apples, with the tins, and even the medicine, um, there's a f- I was like, w- who are you stealing from? Like, isn't that food going to go to the camp anyway? Like, I was a bit confused. Like, if they were looking after the camp. But then it made me wonder, when they were talking about the hospital, it seemed to be connected to Ikenhouse. House. Like, it seemed to be the same... Complex almost, and I'm wondering if it was like there was more than just the internment camp there, if you know what I mean. That it was not because it's like she was st- taking stuff from my impression that was going to be coming to them anyway.
2: Well, here's here's the thing about here's the thing about um food in these camps. Yeah, um, one one camp in Wyoming uh, had about forty five cents daily for food rations, And so you have your, your large population of Japanese Americans and you have your guards and you have staff like doctors and nurses to feed. Mm -hmm. So you have 45 cents a day per capita to feed these people. Mm -hmm. So it's entirely understandable that she would steal a little bit extra food for the folks in the camp because the best stuff went to the doctors and the nurses. Well, and the guard so that that's pretty reasonable that, from a historical standpoint
1: yeah that's what kind of made me have the impression that there were that it was partially the hospital or, or or the barracks as well if you know what I mean that it was that she wasn't just taking from the supplies that would have been coming to them anyway and so it made me wonder what else was connected to the camp or how many other people or whatever but the the black market selling of medicines, I mean, was that something that happened or is that something we'd even know about now if it ever did happen? Like
2: In in the research I, I pre gamed for the episode, basically. Um in the research I found there's no real mention of smuggling uh or or black market goods being sold out of these camps. What is more feasible is that the medicine was going to soldiers on the front lines and not the people in the camp um, because the soldiers on the front lines were white Americans that were much more important to the American army than Japanese Americans in the camps. So it's possible there was a black market. I can't say yes or no history wise. Um, I couldn't find any evidence of anything like that. So I'm going to lean towards the side of no, it's probably just the, the supplies went to the army boys
1: yeah I mean the amount of medicine they were talking about as well, again it seemed to be talking about the supplies for Ichenhaus, not the supplies for the camp specifically. So I'm wondering if Eichen House as a hospital, not even a mental institution as just a hospital, was there first and then they put the camp in the grounds of the hospital, if you know what I mean because I, I was a little bit a little bit confused. Um, the said they they were the same gates, like the same style gates. It might just be like, oh, we're just gonna use our prop gates and put some different letters on them. I couldn't decide whether it was like that was like a floor or if it was like meant to be a part of the same thing. But they seemed to be going back and forth to Eichen House very well.
2: Where is quickly. where is Eichen House? Is Eichen House in Beacon Hills or is it somewhere else? Because the camp was in Rock Creek, which they said was something like two miles away
0: Oak or something Creek, like that in the yeah. episode.
2: So I, I sort of understood that the camp was farther away and that people were brought to Aiken House if they were um, super sick, like set on fire sick, because the the scenes in the hospital at the um, camp looked like they were in the camp facilities. They weren't uh, yeah. at Aiken House. It right. wasn't until uh, Reese or however you say his name got extra crispy that he ended up there. <laughs> I, yeah that's sorry
3: i'm i'm sarcastic it happened <laughs> i'm wondering if- i actually could think about that that maybe he was the only one that was taken to eichen House and the others were because i assumed when the others were sick that they were in Ikenhouse, but maybe that was just at the camp
1: i don't
3: know uh, uh they see- to me it looked like they're at the camp
1: They seem to make a big deal of Satomi, the older woman, being a bitten werewolf. Like, Scott goes, oh, my God, she was bitten. And then Mrs. Yukimura says, yeah, bitten werewolves have all this trouble. I'm like, does it matter? Like, is that a plot point? Like, why are you making it a thing about, you know, her being a bitten werewolf and the losing control? Unless it is just to, you know, exemplify her lack of control. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, or if it's meant to be a plot point, you know, because that woman didn't die. We haven't seen her die. Mm-hmm. And she had uh, brown eyes as a werewolf. So it means she was like an innocent or whatever. She hadn't done any killing. Uh, so is she still around somewhere? Like, and, I who, hope so. and who bit her? You know, the what she said t- to uh, Noshiko originally in terms of, you know, Which was a really good metaphor, being like, you know, the young fox always knows the rules so that, you know, they can break them, whereas the older, wiser animal looks for exceptions or whatever. And, I don't know, it just makes me wonder, like, how old is she as a werewolf? If she knows Kira is a kitsune, you know, is she an even older werewolf than that? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't really understand what the circumstances
3: are there. In hindsight, I really like that line from Satomi because she specifically says a younger fox and an older animal. It's like we kind of should have known that maybe yeah. she was a kitsune right from the
2: well, beginning. So that was in cool. In hindsight, also in hindsight, she slides over the bottle of aspirin and says, "I know you get terrible migraines every That's month."
0: Not.
2: But we also haven't. Darn it! Recently. It was right there. Yeah,
1: we haven't really seen werewolves like getting headaches by trying to suppress their change like I mean I guess they probably do, but it's it,
2: it wasn't too unsubtle. Like yes,
1: mm-hmm. on the second watch it was like, yeah, okay, I get it. But
0: Okay,
2: light bulb moment. Bing!
1: Yeah. But I don't know, it's it's weird.
2: Unfortunately I think she's mostly a plot point to explain Mrs. Yukimura's distrust of werewolves because I think it's fairly yeah. obvious blames her for everything that happened. I agree. Uh,
1: can I just say Reese getting sit on fire was very like hail. Like I was like, like, oh, fire
2: continues to be a theme. (laughs)
1: Yeah, getting burnt
2: up. Oh, dang. But But um, we haven't that before.
1: I've uh, seen. I've got a few questions. Everyone's getting burnt up. Like I, I, you know, I wonder if that's you know anything to do with like Isaac getting burnt up, whether he's trying to like replicate the same damage on people or something like. Um, but. I don't know, Risa I have some questions about. Like, number one, I just I did love all of his scenes with Noshiko and they're learning French and all of that sweetness and and how they were, you know, all very very lovely and cute. But yeah, he his whole his whole scenario is is awful, basically.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guy get got the short end of the stick, really, because. <laughs> He is the one good guy in the camp, so of course you know he's gonna die. He's the one yeah. good guy. I wasn't expecting
1: it. Not so really. Died. Yeah, I kind of wasn't expecting it until you saw that he was outside the car. I was like, oh, he's gonna get burnt up, and oh, he's gonna be the Kitsune. I kind of thought it was some gonna be someone else, like from the riot in the camp, like a jab, maybe a Japanese. Person, right, you expected
2: it to be right. a Japanese American. Um
1: and yeah, I kind of wasn't expecting it to be him and and that's you know, that's even sadder and worse, I don't know.
3: Yeah. I agree. And speaking of sad, I don't know about you guys, but that moment between Allison and Sheriff Stalinsky, like when uh, Crystal Reed is so good. I'm thinking specifically of course after her mother died and she broke down and then in this moment between the two of them like she's just so good at crying and <laughs> I was crying and it was beautiful and I really liked that line where she basically says that she's afraid all of the time and it was just a really sort of calm moment between the two of them where Sheriff Stolinski's like I don't know how you guys do it you're amazing and she's like Look, it's really hard and I'm sort of going crazy here. Uh, but it was nice to see those two connect like that.
1: My instant thought was that it was like really strangely placed and manipulative. <laughs> like yes.
3: my my, Neat, my, my
1: like I'm like yes, it on one level it was very touching. But it was really weird to me. I was like, is this, like, just some of the stuff she was saying, like, I don't, you know, I about Isaac, and then, oh, I don't know if I was made a mistake about Scott. And then the fact that she said, I don't know if we should trust Derek. Why? Like, what's, what, why do you have a reason not to trust Derek, like, at the moment? Like, I, I was really confused by that. And it, is it just that she actually doesn't know Derek as well as we know Derek as the audience, and she still has reason to think that he could be sort of screwing with people, or it, to me it just sounded like um, someone trying to get someone on her side and sort of sow doubt or possibly stall for time or something like that. I really – and I'm going to feel so bad if at the end of the season there was, like, nothing wrong with Alison the whole time and we've been <laughs> sitting there going, Alison's really dull and not doing anything, and it's really suspicious, like, the whole season. Like, um, But I don't know. What did you think, Karen? Because I know that you – you did kind of like it, but also thought it was strange.
3: Yeah. I mean, I feel like that hug specifically, like would have given her prime opportunity to do something. I don't know what, I don't know. <laughs> what, what like she could him.
0: Done. <laughs> You're it. Yeah.
3: So in the back. yeah. For that. Oh my God. I seriously, I thought like he was going to lean back and she was just going to like gut him or something. I was really afraid. And then nothing happened, but I, I'm not quite sure that maybe nothing happened because I think that it was a really good opportunity to maybe do something and I just I have my eye on Allison. Yeah, well the the scene, you know, watching it
2: it was one of I think a great moment for the sheriff, you know. He was obviously trying to be encouraging and, you know, be like, Hey Allison, you're awesome, okay? chin up girl. And you know, she breaks down and has a moment of vulnerability, which we haven't really seen since her mother died. I mean, she hasn't, we haven't seen that kind of emotional release. And so I'm almost wondering if there's not something supernaturally wrong with Allison, but there's something like PTSD uh, or, you know, some sort of psychological thing wrong with her. That's completely human and completely normal you know, for a teenage girl who stabbed the guy a bunch of times with knives and was manipulated by her grandfather and, you know, has been taken advantage of over and over again by all her family except her dad, really. And so it might have just been a moment where Allison is starting to lose it like any teenage girl would.
0: I
1: don't know. She's... As I said, if we get to the end of the season and Allison has been totally innocent the entire time, I'm going to feel, like, super bad that we've been so Write yeah. A her. very
2: nice apology letter. Dear Crystal Reed, I'm really <laughs> sorry I thought Allison was evil. Yeah, Your acting was excellent. <laughs>
1: yeah, sauce. Thanks for making
3: uh, me cry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Well, in another flashback, we basically see what this whole episode is culminating to, and that's when Nishiko calls forth the spirit of the Nigitsude to possess her, and it doesn't. It actually, because it's a trickster spirit, possesses Reese's dead body, and that's how this bandaged man uh, was born, so to speak. So my main question here is, How do you guys think this whole story would have been different if Nishiko actually had been the one who was possessed? Do you think that the Nikitsune would have been as bad as it is as this bandaged man, as Reese? Or do you think that maybe because it it possessed somebody who was still alive, um, maybe somebody who didn't die so traumatically, uh, obviously because she wasn't dead, but uh, do you think it would have changed anything?
1: I don't know, honestly. I mean, what she said sounds like she knew that it was going to be trouble for everyone, but she didn't care because she thought she was going to die and that, you know, she just wanted to wreak some havoc and not let them get away with it. Uh, uh, my main question was, like, she was already a kitsune, so what's the difference between being a kitsune and then being possessed by a kitsune spirit like in this circumstance like the nogitsune or are there things that are born Nogitsune like in the way that she is a kitsune and that is what she is or is nogitsune something sort of bigger than that that you know and then could a regular kitsune or, or, or a kitsune spirit possess someone as well without them actually being
3: a kitsune that's a good question, because they always talk about the Nogitsune being a dark spirit, but they don't speak about that t- like, the they don't say that about the Kitsune's. Yeah, so I wonder if there could be a difference between the two of them. What I, I'd like to
2: see is there's that scene where Scott is looking at Kira, and we saw the spirit over her almost like armor. If, if we looked at Styles in werewolf vision would he have that armor because that would kind of almost answer that question of Uh is it something possessing you or is it something part of you um but i'm sure they won't show us that because they're mean um (laughs) but it's it's more like styles is possessed and kira and her mom this is part of them, almost in the way like a soul is part of a person.
0: At least yeah. that's what it
2: appears to me that Kitsune is is something you are, while no Kitsune is something that takes you over and possesses you like a demon in Supernatural.
3: So then we see the werewolf uh, and Nishiko kill the Nagitsune together, and they do it. With the sword. And is this sword supposed to be special? Or is it just like, because obviously this whole episode is kind of leading up to. Mrs. Yukimura putting the sword back together with Kira's help, and she gives it to Kira as, like, this is what you need in order to kill the Nugitsune again.
1: Yeah. And so
3: is this sword supposed to be something special, or does she, like, Mrs. Yukimura just think that like, well, it did it before, it, maybe it'll do it again.
1: I feel like it is some sort of 900 year old magic sword, yeah. That she, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think that it
2: passed down from generation to generation of kitsune's
1: yeah i think that it has to be um in some way important
2: well it's it's got to be important now because it was put back together not by natural smithing processes but by kitsune magic yeah so if it wasn't special before i would think it's been enchanted now
1: i mean maybe it just was, from
2: that little yeah maybe it out.
1: was maybe it was originally forged with like lightning, like Kitsune lightning, rather than with fire or whatever. Um, I also kind of, when Reese died, like when they killed him, and it was him again for a minute, when they took the the spirit out of him, Um, and he, sort of his last words to her were the um, coup de ferdre, which is the French uh, idiom, I guess, for love at first sight, which literally means a bolt of lightning. And when they were talking about that, you also kind of had Kira and Scott look at each other in this funny way as well. And uh, I I liked that as like a presence in the episode, that whole phrasing. But like, do you think that Kira and Scott had that happen? Like, or do you think Scott just has that with every new girl at school?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm beginning to suspect Scott has a problem of falling love at the drop of a hat. Just, Ooh, she's pretty. I love her.
0: Yeah.
3: I think it's cute, though. I mean, I think that Allison is always going to sort of be the number one for him, but I really like this idea of. You can fall in love again, and it can be just as wonderful as the first time around. And I really like Kira, so I... I mean... And Tyler Posey has talked about it before, that their relationship is going quite slow, and I enjoy all of that, and I like the little looks that they kind of give as an undertone to the episode, where they don't put the romance at the forefront, but it's still sort of there in the background.
1: I mean, her parents are a really good example of that, in terms of falling in love again and successfully. Like, yes, it sucks that her first uh, love, or well, probably not even her first, but the first love that we see of hers died horribly and screaming. But, you know, there's an example of loving again in a, a nice and healthy way. So we shall see, I suppose.
3: Yeah, and this is where we obviously find out that Kira is a Thunder Kitsune. And I don't think anybody was too surprised by that. I mean, we've gotten obviously quite a few clues up until now. Shocked, I was really shocked. Really by surprise.
2: <laughs> yeah, you I were could shocked. Have <laughs> it was going to be a water kitsune? Yeah.
3: <laughs> and uh, you know, we don't know what Nishiko is, right? Like, we haven't well, gotten really any clues. See, well, aren't there are there two kitsunes they've established? Like,
2: there's a fire and there's an uh, there's a thunder. There's was, not established? There's like
1: there's a lot of types and she kind of when Kira first found out at least about the legends she kind of told Scott she's like oh there's all these different types blah, blah blah we didn't even know if like her power over electricity is something that all of them had like if you know what I mean if that's just a standard or if it was like specific to one type uh but when she breaks the light bulb in her room i swear her mother comes and fixes it and also affects the light bulb maybe mm-hmm. do you remember
2: that yeah yeah, you're so right. I'm
1: like, you have lightning power too. Like, do you, or is it just like an after effect of Kira's, or, or something like, or because I was gen, genuinely like, with this episode, I'm like, didn't we see that happen with the light bulb? Um, and I'm, I'm, like, did she want Kira specifically to do it to give the weapon like new power, like power from a new Kitsune or something? Like, why would you lie? Like, you've, you've just had your daughter say like just found out you're 900 years old, and I don't think I'm ever going to trust you again. So you kind of want to probably, like, cut down on the amount of are Yeah, lying. you might stop
3: lying. But, a but she I specifically don't... says, though, that I'm not a thunder kid today. So I, I But you're right, the electricity, like, she did have that effect on the light bulb. That does seem kind of strange to me, and now I don't really know what to think.
2: It could be... The general idea or the magic trope of that magic always affects modern technology and maybe it's just her kitsune-ness while it was difficult (laughs) um that affected the light bulb and it's not really thunder because it didn't it didn't go supernova like kira made it go it just kind of went flick
1: flick yeah and maybe that kind of thing that happened was like even like an after effect of kira's power like some of her residue being kind of Zapping her or something. I don't know. Like, right. but
2: static electricity on the light bulb.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It confused me though because I remembered that and I was like, did you just forget that, that happened or like, <laughs> to the show? It could
3: always do that. The writers could forget. Hmm. Hopefully not. I I'm really interested in, in knowing what Mrs. Yukimura is like. What kind of kitsune she is yeah, specifically? Yeah, we
1: haven't really seen she's... her do any powers except of Yeah. Hiding.
3: And she's a lot older and more controlled and obviously has a lot more knowledge than Kira does. So I think that, you know, just having her around more, maybe being able to teach Kira would be a good learning experience for us too and give us kind of a, a little bit of a slice into more of that world. So I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing that. But, you know, on top of that, Mrs. Yukimura gives Kira the sword, tells her that she has to be the one to kill Styles. That's the only way you can save him. And Scott is basically not having any of that. And that's one mm-hmm. of the things that I've really liked about uh, Tyler Posey. What he's been talking about lately is he keeps saying that Scott – will never give up on Styles. that he's, you know, they're such good friends that he always believes that there's this light at the end of the tunnel and that they're going to be able to figure out how to save him without killing him. And, you know, the day that Scott McCall gives up on Styles is going to be the day that I'm probably not going to survive an episode of Teen Wolf, because that is just this sort of underlying theme, I think, that's been around since the very first episode.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, do you think there was anything more to her statement, like, or their statement saying, you know, uh, kill Styles it's the only way to save him, and then, you know, when she kind of is like, oh, maybe you can get a, a helpful wolf to help you. Do you think that they're, they were trying to make an implication, instead of spelling it out, but make an implication, okay, stab him with the sword so that the Nugitsune comes out, and then while he's dying, give him the bite so that he heals and becomes a werewolf.
2: Well, maybe we've had a death in Teen Wolf already, you know, Jackson died and then came back to life. Mm. So uh, all this talk of someone's going to die, someone's going to die. Well, somebody already did die and it didn't really stick. Mm. Death doesn't seem to stick around Beacon Hills all that (laughs) often if you're a guy. Um, (laughs) So it could be that, you know, the sword runs through, kills the... Kills the Nogitsune and, in a sense, kills Styles, and then Styles kind of does a reboot like Jackson did, where you know the the real death was the Nogitsune, and once the Nogitsune is dead, Styles is back and he's. They you know, can't just like, end
1: every season like that.
2: Oh, sure they can. <laughs>
3: it worked the first time.
1: Oh,
2: god.
3: That is, is a good point, though. I mean, they have said that. This death that's going to happen is going to stick. It's going to be permanent. But I kind of like the idea of, well, the Nogitsune's death could be permanent. Like, you know, that half. and, And so they could be getting kind of tricky with that. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible that definitely could work. Like you said, it worked with Jackson. So why not? Maybe someone will become undead and live on as a vampire or something. Oh, God, no vampires. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last scene of this episode is one of my favorites. It's where my favorite quote came from. And this is when Alice and Chris, Derek, and the sheriff are in Styles's room. They see the message on the chessboard, and um, they basically f- try to figure out what's going on. So let's just talk about the most important part of this scene which is that derek is the king did anyone else just like cackle when this (laughs) happened no i don't i didn't know enough about
2: chess to kind of get it at first i was like oh derek's the king is that a reference to alpha Nicias? and then everyone you know i got on tumblr and everyone's like oh and i'm like oh i get it now i feel like an idiot (laughs)
1: uh yeah um it's interesting to me that style's or the Nigitsune, because there's been some debate about whether the Nigitsune labeled all those pieces, like redid it, or whether Styles. It, whether it's left over from when Styles did it with his dad and it's actually um, he just played with what he had. The Nigitsune just played with what he had, if you know what I mean, because I believe Lydia isn't on the board because in this episode because she wasn't originally and he might have just been. Fiddling with what he had, so it's really amusing to me that Styles, when creating this board, would have put Derek as the king. Which, if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, the king is literally the most defenseless piece. Like, it's the weakest, it's one of the weakest pieces on the board. It, like, the queen is the most powerful. And I don't think we saw who, who, or if, or who he had labelled as queen on either side. But the king is. No. Everything is about protecting the king because it is relatively defenceless as a piece. And Scott was labelled as a pawn, which is interesting because, again, if this was last season where he was, you know, Scott and Isaac were all just the little werewolves, but a pawn can also cross all the way to the other side of the board and become a queen, like become the most power... You can make it the most powerful piece on the board if you manage to move it all the way across to the other side. Uh, It means you get a second queen, basically, and I don't know if queens are meant to represent the alpha or the true alpha, but it's interesting that Pawn Scott has crossed the board all the way, kind of, now.
2: See, I, I, I need to know more about chess to really understand what the symbolism might be, but what I have noticed is that this week you had chess, and then in the preview we've seen they're playing Go, and there was Go in this episode as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the two games are very different. Chess is a much more aggressive game than Go is. Go is more cerebral, Mm. and so i think you've got a almost a difference of of games going on here where the the chest is maybe meant to represent all right guys do something aggressive to me while in the meantime styles is playing go in his head which is all a very cerebral game and i liked i like that contrast i don't know if i'm right but that's really the difference i saw
3: Yeah, I think that's really interesting and it definitely jumped out at me that both Chess and Go were in this episode and uh, the previews that we've seen show Styles playing Go as well. So I think that maybe it's not significant in a sort of like literal way but more of like a metaphorical or something like foreshadowing. I think that this whole thing is going to come down to maybe not literally a game of Go, but something to do with the fact that everything kind of matches up with that and they have to sort of Mm. play this game for his survival and for his mind, which I would be really interested in seeing.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we kind of learn as well that the uh, Nogitsune... There's a really nice uh, line from Mr. Yukimura, basically, when he they send off Kira with her sword, and she sa- he says, history has not done well with making children into killers, which I really liked. But then we kind of learn as well that, you know, this all might have been going on a bit longer than we think, because allegedly the Nogitsune spirit, the fly uh, thing, Noshiko put it in a jar and buried it in the roots of the nematon before it was cut down, and then the kids doing the sacrifices is what awoke the spirit so like did that possess styles immediately you know like what on earth is going on there why is everything about the nematon why didn't deaton think of this like you know i've got some questions
2: well we don't know what deaton knows and doesn't know because like i said fortune cookie you have to interpret him yeah uh, <laughs> So it could be he knew all of this along and he probably did. we just we just don't know and it's really annoying but you know it it wouldn't surprise me if Deaton and Morell sit together at Starbucks every day and go can you believe these people what they're screwing up now i got to go to japan and get some fancy mochi i can't believe this <laughs> um,
3: Okay i have a crack theory Ooh crack <laughs> Um Okay, so the Nogitsune, the first person that it possessed was dead. Okay, and then the Nogitsune spirit was buried in the Nematon, where it was brought out after they did their sacrifices. Mm. So if that happened, you remember how Styles crashed his jeep while everything that was going on? What if Styles died and then the Nogitsune possessed him oh my and gosh. he's been dead this whole time?
2: Okay, so zombie Styles is your crack theory?
3: Yes. Hang on, people but when did, he, when did he crash the Jeep? <laughs> after he did the sacrifice?
2: Yeah, it was after the sacrifice. Yeah, they did,
1: and then he drove to find them.
2: Oh, right. Oh, he saved them.
1: Yeah. Oh. No,
2: people, people would hate you. People are going to hate you for that, because <laughs> if Styles dies, the fandom it's is going to It's not even get like, together. oh, he's
1: dead. It's like he's been dead the whole he's time. Right. He's
2: going to... The whole fandom's gonna get in the car. We're all gonna drive to Jeff Davis house and we're gonna egg it. I know what's gonna happen <laughs> if Styles dies.
1: Oh, wow. So,
2: or if Styles turns out to be dead, like your theory suggests. i I don't give the writers that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I hate to be i I'm the cynic in this episode of, of the podcast, but I don't give the writers that much credit. They're not that clever. <laughs> I
1: I do think that there may be an overlying plot more than just, oh, the sacrifices made it come out. I think that there's been something going on since the beginning of the season that we don't know about that is, is either to do with the sacrifices or to do with the way that we're perceiving how at least one of the characters is seeing something this season. Like, I think that we've been... Watching a bunch of stuff that's potentially fictional. Obviously, it's fictional. Fictional in the context of the show, if you know what I mean. Like that, it's not right. real in mm-hmm. the con- And I don't know what it is, but I've just got this
2: feeling. Well, so. it, it could be that Styles is like the the guy telling riddles at the beginning of this episode. He could be the one that we're supposed to be paying attention to, and we give all our focus to. And actually, it's the guy they're burying in the <sighs> desert who's the real problem. Because, like, it could be Malia, or Malia, however you say her name, um, who's actually the real problem. Malia is
1: definitely a problem.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, we can argue about why. Okay. Uh, I,
1: I also have some questions about Barrow, in that when did he get... Like, when was he meant to have committed his whole murder? And was he already possessed by the Nagitsune the first time he committed his bomb murder? Or did he only get uh, to become a Nagitsune helper um, after he'd already been committed for that? So he was already crazy. And then they were like, we're going to make you do more murders. Um, Because I can't work that out. Because he obviously had the fly tumor inside him. So he's presumably one of the Nigitsune's little helpers, and we don't know when that started or how long that's been going on, like if it was years and years and years, or if it was, you know, he was just doing that whole first bomb of his first accord, and I mean, remember, he was all like, they had glowing eyes, I didn't like the little werewolves, or whatever it was, and so I'm really curious about when he came into the picture, and if that's just going to be waved aside, or if that's actually a plot point.
3: I have a feeling everything's going to sort of come together at the end. And hopefully, I mean, I won't call it a feeling. I'll say I hope that it's going to happen because I I think that they're playing sort of like a long con here where they basically have set up everything from the beginning and we just are still getting each and every piece in all of these episodes. It's not going to be straightforward. And at the end, I I hope that there's going to be this moment where we kind of step back and see the puzzle for what it really is and if they're really doing that I think that is going to be amazing and you know one of the things that is sort of at the end of this episode and going into the next is that Stilinski, Cher Stilinski says they have to trick the trickster and they go and find Stiles at Derek's loft where he turns around and says hi dad and obviously it's still the Nagitsune and we see in the trailer that you know Chris is pointing his gun at Styles, and the sheriff is pointing his gun at Chris, and everybody's sort of got this feeling that this is part of them tricking the trickster. And so we might not realize that at first, or, you know, they're kind of playing a game here, and that's what I'm hoping is going to happen at the end in these final three episodes is everything's gonna kind of click in place at some point and we're gonna be like, oh that's what's been going on this entire time. Well if we go back if we go back to the chess metaphor that seems to
2: feature prominently in this season, in season three, um, the point of chess is to be ten steps ahead of your opponent. So if the new kids, if if they're trying to outfox the fox it's a game of chess and we know the sheriff is taught styles how to play chess so they've probably played games against each other so that means styles knows how the sheriff plays and the sheriff knows how styles plays
0: mm-hmm.
2: so if the Nugitsune is drawing on styles knowledge of everything in beacon hills you've got a pretty evenly matched game going on here and i think it's definitely possible that the sheriff can outfox the Nugitsune because the Nugitsune is not going to interpret things the same way Styles would in a game of chess against his dad. So I definitely, I'm on that side of the fence where the standoff is all a trick and it's a game that they're playing. What the end game is, is still unclear to me because I'm very bad at chess.
3: (laughs) I really like that idea though that, you know, the sheriff is, playing a game of chess against his own son, and that, you know, he's basically playing it, like you said, against the Nugitsune, who might not be able to know exactly what the sheriff is doing, whereas Styles might have otherwise. So that's really cool. I kind of hope that it goes down that path now.
2: Well, I just want to see the sheriff be the hero, because he's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that would be great. That would be really nice.
1: Next week's episode is actually called Devoid, not like Devoid, which it's D hyphen void. Like, do you think that this is going to be the episode where for better or worse, they actually get the Nogitsune out of styles. And then the last two episodes will be the, cause you remember like, for example, three, A. I think in episode 10 out of 12 for that season, you know, I think in episode 10, we found out that Jennifer was the Dirac, And then the last two episodes were the big issue of, of ending it all. Do you think that we're going to get sort of a resolution to one, of the big mysteries next week, whether it's that the Negitane gets out of styles or whatever it is. And then the last couple of episodes of the season are going to be with like cleaning up the, you know, whatever the actual bigger big bad is, if there is one.
3: Well, I think so. I hope so. There's,
2: there's an implied in the summary for the next episode that there's going to be some cleaning up because the, the sheriff gets, goes under a review hmm. and that's the obvious way to clean a lot of this up or potentially make things worse but you know it's i think they they don't have enough time if they want to wrap everything up to do another episode where styles is possessed i just i don't think they have the time to do that unless they want to carry this on to season four and if they carry it on to season four i'm gonna punch somebody in the face (laughs) because i don't have the patience to, I can't sit the whole summer going, oh, my God, is styles OK. I will have an aneurysm. So I'm hoping everything does get wrapped up. And then we lead into season four with some big changes for the police department and some big changes for the pack in that, you know, Derek's back. Aiden and Ethan are still around and we haven't really figured out what to do with them yet. And so that would be a good lead in for season four. But I'm an optimist.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think that this will be sort of wrapped up by the end of season three. I think that a lot of what's going on now is going to carry into season four and that there's a lot of consequences to those actions, especially Styles is probably going to have to deal with a lot of things internally and with his mental health just in terms of what he's done, even though he was possessed. So, I'm going to be interested in seeing what it's like for him in season four in those terms. But by the end of season three, I think we're going to have a pretty clear answer as to what happened and who's, you know, still left alive and who's dead.
0: Yay! Yeah! Yay.
3: (laughs) Yay! Well,. That's pretty much it for this episode. I think that it was a good episode overall. And like we said in the beginning, something uh, a little bit better than what we've been seeing lately. So that's cool. And I'm really excited for the next episode. I think it's going to be a really intense one. But jumping into our non sequitur section right Mm. now. It's my turn again and we are going to see what everyone's favorite cult classic film is. So Natalie, I know that you've been thinking about this for a little while. What what's your choice?
1: Okay. My go-to standard answer if you asked me this and I and I did no research whatsoever, for example, my first up would say Rocky Horror Picture Show because I've seen it a lot of times at the cinema and I love it and I think it's ridiculous and all of that kind of thing. However, I went and I had a bit of a look into uh, what are considered to be cult classic films because a cult classic is something, obviously, we kind of chatted about. It's something that has a big fan base, you know, whether it's online or in reality, like some of them are older than the internet, uh, that it was not like a blockbuster hit when it came out, but it has become really loved in some way, and I often sort of filter in cult classics to be ones that don't necessarily fit into any other genre. For example, the uh, the list I looked at had Shaun of the Dead, and I love Shaun of the Dead, but I don't necessarily consider it a cult classic, I consider it like a zombie thing, because cult classics to me are always stuff that don't fit into any other genre, because they're so weird for whatever reason. It also listed Spice World the movie as a cult classic, which, <laughs> yeah. I love Spice World the movie, I don't know if I'd consider that a cult classic. <laughs> Office Space I think is a, is a great it's one of my favorite comedies and apparently that's considered to be a cult classic movie nowadays um I didn't know that or to me it's just a comedy that's not particularly well known by the mainstream and my favorite movie literally of all time is Velvet Goldmine which again allegedly Wikipedia calls a cult classic but I've never seen it on a list of like 50 best cult classic movies it's literally my favorite movie of all time, cult classic or not. But the standard, if you're going to go like actual cult classics that get cinema screenings and stuff, gotta be Rocky Horror.
3: Can I just say how strange it is that you like Shaun of the Dead? Because I quote, you do not zombie. It's the only zombie movie I've ever seen.
1: No, I've seen 28 <laughs> Days Later and it terrified the fuck out of me. But I've seen...
2: <laughs> fast zombies. That's terrifying. Pardon? No, yeah,
1: there's, yeah 28, ta- zombies. 28 <laughs> Days Later is awful. Like, and I couldn't stand it. Like, Shaun of the Dead is a joke movie, and I still don't love the zombies, but it's—I love all of the Cornetto trilogy movies. They're all completely ridiculous, but they're so deep, and I love them. So that's that's <laughs> completely, yeah. It's not a—it's not the same as as like normal zombies, but yeah. Sorry, <laughs>
3: Liz. What about you?
2: You will—you'll never see this. At least you won't see this film on cult classics for a long time. But um, the movie. That came out in 2010, The Losers, which is based on a DC, which is based on a comic book. Oh, I've um, seen that. Kind I of. love that movie. That movie, it's pretty actually very terrible. It was a popcorn movie. You know, you literally went to the theater to watch things explode. <sighs> that's, that's, the movie, though, it, it's one of my favorites. I actually have a poster signed by the cast up in my room. This is how much I love this movie.
3: <laughs> wow. It's
2: not on a cult classic list. It's going to take a while for it to become a cult <laughs> classic list. I love this movie. But you're, holding, oh my out, God. you're holding out hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it, I'm i waiting for it to have maybe one of those, you know, uh, It's a Wonderful Life revivals. You know, it does really terribly in the theater, but as years go on, people get nostalgic mm, and yeah. start to watch it and go, you know, this movie doesn't have any redeeming value, but it's actually pretty fun. <laughs>
3: I, I picked that movie up on a whim, and I was expecting, like, a regular sort of action movie, and it was. And I didn't love the movie. I thought it was good, and it definitely went in, like, a different direction than I thought it would. But Chris Evans in that movie was brilliant. Oh, he's amazing. incredible. I was not expecting that out of him. I mean, I've really only seen him, obviously, in uh, Captain America, but not in a whole lot of other things. But in that movie, he was just perfect. He's, it was fantastic
2: casting. And I mean, if you like Chris Evans, another one that's kind of not well known is called Push, which is government conspiracy and psychics. And it's got Chris <laughs> Evans and Dakota Fanning. Oh, my God. It, it's another one of those really cult movies that I love because it's, it's actually, again, bad. I like bad movies. I will admit that. <laughs> I love bad movies. Can I tell you something? Another one, if you see it, you'll understand. It's it's fantastic. Loves bad
1: movies too.
3: Well, I do. But Push, one of my all-time favorite movies. (laughs) Hallelujah! That movie is fantastic. It is so good. I mean, it's not even like bad. Like that's the thing. It is really good, and they should have given it a sequel, but it bombed, and they didn't. And it is so. uh, Still makes me angry. There's a lot of unfulfilled potential there.
1: Write some fan fiction,
2: Karen.
3: <laughs> I, oh, have, no,
1: she hasn't. I have not seen this
3: movie, Push. Uh, oh, it's it's. Well, now now you know what you're gonna do with your weekend. Now I have a job apparently to go watch Push. <laughs> she hated Mortal Kombat, so I'm not suggesting any more movies that Natalie should watch. Okay, admittedly that movie's terrible, but it's a it's good time. So bad, Karen. It's, it's horrible, but that's what <laughs> makes it good. Yes. Uh. Um, believe it or not, Mortal Kombat is not my favorite cult classic film because my favorite is the entire tremors uh sequence of movies. Oh my moments. god, Tremors. I know that, that is. Oh, my God. They are amazing, and they are my favorite ever. They're completely ridiculous. Basically, you have these giant worm monsters that come out of the ground and eat people, and it's not scary. Like, I hate scary movies, and I thought these movies were going to be really scary, and I think that's why I like them so much, because they don't scare me. They're just really ridiculous, but, like, Kevin Bacon's in it, and it's just... It shouldn't work, but it does, and it's hilarious, and even the sequels are good, and I just, you know, they're part of my comfort movie collection where I just watch <laughs> something that makes me feel good, and I pop one of those in. Those killer worms,
2: man. They make me all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> Karen,
3: can I just tell you Can I tell you something?
1: Before we – I literally almost said this to you on Viber. Before we started this, and I was kind of, as I said, researching what people consider to be a cult movie, and on, like, a couple of, like, top – lists I saw uh, (laughs) I saw um, not this movie I still don't know what Tremors is but I saw listed Mothra which is the movie of some giant moth and I was like I bet Karen's favorite cult movie is Mothra uh, <laughs> and so I was not too far off on the giant ridiculous <laughs> insect
3: movies well no when the they're called gri- graboids when they're in the ground and when they evolve and when they fly they're called ass blasters what? so they do fly <laughs> This is this is a
2: classic movie for a reason yes
1: Wow. How old is it? Is it like eighties or is it like earlier than that?
2: Oh 90s? gosh. I think it's eighties. I yeah. would wanna say it's the eighties,
3: but Kevin Bacon is pretty young in it. Nineteen ninety is uh the first one came out. Oh god. Are you kidding me? Nineteen ninety? Geez. Guess what? Trevor's four came out in two thousand and four. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's terrible.
2: Wonderful, but terrible.
1: You guys are incredible. Wow. (laughs) America, good job on the film industry.
3: (laughs) We try. We try. Uh, Okay. We should probably end this here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um... I don't think I know any movies that are like bad. Like I don't think I've seen any movies that are like purposely bad, except maybe *Reefer Madness*, which is also a, a cult classic musical, which is got Kristen Bell in it. If you like her, it's based on a um, based on a real propaganda film that was made in the '50s about marijuana use, and they based some people basically unearthed this propaganda paraphernalia and it was like oh my god this is the craziest thing I've ever say, re- read because it's so funny and so ridiculous so they made a film musical of basically what was pitched as a real marijuana uh, propaganda story originally and it's so funny and so dumb and you Karen you'd actually probably That's... but that uh,
2: that's actually historically accurate. There was a movie called Reefer Madness yeah, yeah. I, back in the 50s. I, I know 60. it's story-
1: like, that's not the plot of the movie. That's how the movie originally okay. got <laughs> made. Like, yeah, they don't, sorry, they don't find the propaganda in the film. The film is, re- is a satirical okay. retelling of what really happened with the original Reefer Madness p-
2: propaganda. Okay, I it's get it
1: now. so ridiculous, but you'll like it, Karen. You'll probably love it, especially since it's Kristen <laughs> Bell. Um,
2: Well, now now Karen knows what she's doing with her weekend. <laughs> Hmm. So Natalie has to watch like Tremors and Push <laughs> Do I and Losers and Karen has to watch Read for Madness. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Everybody's weekend is planned.
1: <laughs> oh. oh god. Um I feel like it's I feel like we should have had a question about the Oscars or something, given that Karen was forced to watch it even though she hates awards shows she, <laughs> she doesn't like feeling like she's missed out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh god yeah i just live tweeting it really helps
1: yeah none Makes of me get it. will ever be at the oscars so
3: <laughs> no this was me rebelling against the oscars
1: <laughs> uh, well i suppose i suppose we can uh go now and uh next week episode <laughs> 322 as we've mentioned, is titled "Devoid," and we don't know whether this is going to be the end of Styles as the Nigitsane, the end of Styles as we know him, the end of uh, Teen Wolf as we know it, you know, the end of the world. <laughs> it's, it's all a possibility, really. Uh, two episodes to go after that until the season finale, but usually when we're two episodes out, we suspect something pretty big will happen. So you can expect something quite large next week we will be back with another special guest. But for now, we'd like to say a lot of thank you to Liz to coming on and talking about the camps with us and, you know, just the episode in general. So thank you very much. And I'm sorry that the episode was not as historically accurate as it could have been.
2: Nothing ever is. But uh, thanks for having me on. And like I said, if anybody has history questions or want to know more, I'm happy to answer them preferably through Tumblr because I'm terrible at looking at Twitter. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm also happy to come on anytime to answer criminal justice questions because that's yes. my other passion. We so. we, uh,
1: we almost uh, ha- we had a little bit of a, not a debate, but we were like, oh, should we have Liz for this week or next week? Because next week uh, the sheriff faces a review and we were like, can we use some criminal justice expertise? But we thought uh, this episode was going to be more historically significant. But I think <laughs> that we're going to have a chat to Liz behind the scenes uh, about what happens next week in order to get an idea of if it's realistic as well. So, yeah, yay for that. Hopefully, Agent Blobfitch isn't too blobby, and we can, uh, <laughs> you know. Oh God, what if the whole season ends with like an Agent McCall like redemption story? Ugh, I'm not here for that.
2: We'll no. We'll have to either. drive Jeff Davis and Agus house. I
1: mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> ugh, ugh. Anyway, he can he can go. One last thing, actually, before next week, we will be releasing a special episode this weekend that is an interview we did with Heidi Tandy. Karen, Courtney, and I conducted this interview. Heidi is one of the leaders on the very popular fanfiction website you may be familiar with, Archive of Our Own, and they just celebrated the milestone of passing one million fan works on there, and because the Teen Wolf fandom was such a big part of kicking that total up much quicker than they ever expected because it was one of the fastest growing fandoms they've ever had. Uh, She came on our show basically to talk about fan fiction from so many different perspectives, you know, Teen Wolf specific, you know, we're we're talking about legality, we're talking about uh, sort of morality, we talk about so much in terms of uh, the fandom world and the relationship with fan fiction and, uh, you know, even down to, you know, the funniest and crackiest uh, tags that people are starting to use on Archive of Our Own and Karen, who does not have much fanfiction experience. Uh, did you kind of learn a lot on that episode?
3: Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because, yeah, I'm actually pretty new to fandom and uh, fanfiction and trying to get around in this world. That's really new to me that the other girls kind of hold my hand a lot. And I really appreciate it. But, you know, all jokes aside, that conversation was one of the best conversations I've ever had about fandom and fanfiction. It was so deep and so informational. And I really enjoyed it. And honestly, I hope that we can talk with Heidi again because she was incredible and she had so much to say. And I hope that everybody learns a lot from it and can learn sort of how important this stuff is. And maybe if there's a naysayer in your life who thinks that, you know, all you do is spend your time on the computer reading fan fiction, you can explain to them how it's not – a bad thing that there's a lot of merit to to the things that people do when they get creative with the things that they're interested in
1: yeah it was a it was a really cool opportunity to to talk to them, and we're really thankful to archive of our own to basically reaching out to our show uh to be the ones to do this promotion of their millionth fan works because obviously uh there are a lot of big fandoms on archive of our own, you know whether it's um you know supernatural sherlock you know glee you know or or, you know book fandoms you know music fandoms all sorts of things so it's really cool that she came on with us because we're you know you know happy to be you know quite a strong presence in the Teen Wolf fandom and they are really grateful to the Teen Wolf fandom for being such a creative fandom I think there's 35,000 fan works of Teen Wolf in the Teen Wolf fandom on there now and so that's really cool and basically before, yeah, that that episode's already been recorded and it'll be released before next week's episode of Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. So this is episode 56, that'll be 57, and then Devoid will be 58. So hopefully you enjoy that and you... It, it's something that you'll be able to share with friends that don't watch Teen Wolf, anyone who's, like, interested in fandom and fan fiction. So this is one that we're really going to want you to pimp around to anyone who is interested in an active fandom. So... Um, we recently got asked how you can help us with the Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, which is something that we never really expected and had to sort of spend a while formulating an answer for. (laughs) If there's any episode that you want to pimp to outside the fandom, this is going to be the one, I think. Don't you reckon?
3: Yeah, I would say so. I think there was another one we did that was a little more general as well. But this one, I think... You know, we talk about all of our examples really are, well not all of them, but most of our examples are Teen Wolf related, but in general, the conversation is just about fandom and I think anybody could really enjoy it whether or not you've seen Teen Wolf.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's um it was really cool. So we'll uh say thank you in advance to Heidi for that. Um obviously we thank her on the episode and say thanks to Liz again as well for being on this episode, but it's
2: anytime, ladies. <laughs>
1: It's it's what will be what's coming next. So um, a little bit of a, a break in between the Teen Wolf episodes for us. So, yeah, you can look forward to that. And we will see you next week. And uh, see you all later. So, yeah, for now we'll just say bye to you. So bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.
0: We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know where.